my child is probably going to scream this whole freaking interview. Oh, you're going to say her name. Yep. I'm going to try to not say her name as much as possible. Okay. Hello. Hi. Hi. I am so excited. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. So this is kind of a funny, going to be a funny interview because anytime I say your name, my daughter will lose, is going to lose her mind. <laughs> she doesn't like when people say her name. So my daughter why. will listen to me listening to table for five in the car. And she's like, Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Lexi. Are they talking about you? I'm like, seems yeah. like that, doesn't it? <laughs> Hello and welcome to table for five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, welcome to the table for five. Thank you for taking a seat at our table. This series, we are talking about the teacher's perspective from the classroom. And tonight we have the wonderful Alyssa McFarland, who is the author of Life with Lexi. And we actually were able to meet Alyssa when we did the live podcast back in April. So this is exciting. At the table tonight, we have Jamie. Hello. Rachel. Hey, everybody. Tabitha. Hello. Jen. Hi, everyone. Alyssa. Hello. And I am Kim McIsaac. Alyssa, do you want to introduce yourself and kind of just tell us a little bit about like what you do, your family, all that good stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, My name is Alyssa McFarland and I'm 36, married to an awesome husband, Brandon, and he's a software developer and he's also a really, really awesome family man. Like he's very, very hands-on with parenting and we have two girls. My oldest is Alina. She's hey, Alina. I know she's going to be listening to this. So <laughs> she is going to be listening in the car. <laughs> she is six and getting ready to go into first grade, which I, even though that, that doesn't seem old to me, it seems so old. And she's just like a fun, loving, energetic little girl with an insane imagination. She can just create these amazing plots as she's playing. And then her younger sister is Lexi. She's going to be four in two weeks, which is wild to me. I feel like she is more like a two-year-old, two and a half maybe, but I also feel like she's been living with us for like eight years. Um, (laughs) She's a handful. And she's also the inspiration behind my Facebook page, Life with Lexi. When she was two years and one month old, she was diagnosed with autism. And when we first got our diagnosis, I kind of, I was ready for it. I knew it was coming. It wasn't a secret, but I just wanted the official diagnosis before I just kind of dove in. And as soon as I got that official diagnosis, I was like, all right, let's go. I dove in head first. I got books, read books, started looking around on Facebook, found Kate, found all of you guys. And honestly, so in April, right after her diagnosis, which was in September, I was like, okay, it's autism awareness acceptance month. I'm going to write every day for the month of April. And at that time I was getting such positive feedback from the things that I was just saying about our life with Lexi. And that's kind of how my page got born. And then that same April, I went to one of Kate's books, book signings in uh, Ohio and I met Sarah. She has a page two, Adventures with Harper Leanne. And uh, she, Harper Elaine, Elaine, sorry. And she was like, oh, have you heard about the Coop Troops blog squad? And I was like, no. And 
Then I joined that and it's been life-changing. I've met so many moms and made so many connections and met so many friends. So that's been honestly, truly amazing. And I'm super, super thankful for it. As far as my professional career, I have been teaching now for 13 years and it kind of started honestly, like way back when I was younger, when I was in third grade, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and I had a really, really hard time in school. I was on an IEP. I received services, but I I just did not do well. I didn't get good grades and everything that was a reading assignment that was sent to us whether it was a book or chapters for social studies or science, my mom read it all to me. She sat down every evening. She read me all of my assignments. She helped me make notes on like, she would like outline everything for me and she would quiz me. She knew I knew it, but at the time my mom didn't know that you could have reading as an accommodation. So I'd go in to take the test and I would just bomb all of my tests So school was hard. I didn't enjoy it. And then later on in high school, I was in counseling and got diagnosed with ADHD. And with ADHD and controlled medicines, you guys know because your moms, there's so many doctor's visits. You're constantly at the doctor's getting refills. And one of those visits was honestly like a game-changing experience because my counselor knew that I wanted to be a teacher And he said, well, have you ever considered being an intervention specialist and teaching children who think like you? It was just like a light bulb moment. I hadn't considered that. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I can do that. This is going to be fun. So from that point forward, I just set my goals to teaching intervention. And I love it. I, I teach children with mild to moderate disabilities. So I do a lot of polling for reading, writing, and math. And over my 13 years of teaching, I have had an increase in numbers for children with autism. It's insane how the numbers have just like gone up and up and up and up and up and that. That's kind of how I've gotten to where I am now. Can you explain what what a um, developmental interventionist is? Like what? So yes. So I'm an intervention specialist and I pull students out. And so there's a few different ways that it can be done. The current position that I am at, I work a lot with helping students with communication needs, though they do also have their speech pathologists. I help a lot with organization and transitions and helping create visual schedules for different things throughout the day, for different transitions throughout the day, whether they need to see what they need to do on how to organize their desk or putting up their backpack and the different steps that they need to take each morning. Get your folder out, put it in your desk, go get your breakfast, whatever it is for that student. And then I do a lot of the academics focusing on reading, writing, and math. And right now I do a lot of pullouts. So they'll come into my room and they will get their direct reading instruction in a small group that provides instruction on their level with lots of scaffolding. And then for math, I pull out, but with math, have you guys ever heard of touch math? Yeah. Okay. So I think that's what Kaya might do. Touch math. Touch. I I like it. I've seen the maybe it's jump. I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, I've seen the program, like there's like an actual program curriculum for it, but there, it's just like a strategy is like another accommodation that they can use. And I teach that to my students, like the very first week of school, maybe the first two, I don't know. I guess I should figure that out. School's starting again soon. <laughs> and once they have that in their toolbox, I'm able to kind of keep pace with the second grade curriculum. So when I pull them out for math and I'm doing the same thing that they would be doing in the classroom anyways, I get frustrated because it's like, oh, they could be in there. I could be in there with them. And at the previous school that I taught at, I actually was able to co-teach math with an amazing teacher. Her name's Catrice. And her and I had like a, it felt like we were in like a working marriage. And we would plan together. We would, I was a part of her classroom. Um, she had desk in there for me. All of her students were my students. All of my students were her students. And they made the most amazing growth being able to be in there and co-teaching with them. But right now I don't have that at the school I'm currently at, but I am. So I've mostly taught second grade and it's frustrating because then you have to send them on to the next year. It's like, oh, I want a little more time with them. I want to be able to follow them to the next grade level. But this year I'm also picking up kindergarten and first grade because the numbers are lower and I'm really excited and getting to work with some other teachers and working with a younger group that I can follow through and maybe find a teacher who's interested in co-teaching because I think that co-teaching is the most amazing thing ever. That's awesome. Do you think that with your profession that's why you were you saw the signs of flexi maybe a little sooner than maybe someone talking at this table and I'm not naming names it could have been me that that just ignored it all and put pushed it to the back of my head and I think so I mean I think yes and no because when I finally did realize it was like a light bulb where I was just like whoa how did I not see this sooner um I wasn't sure if it was a hearing thing I wasn't sure what it was, but she had regressed so much and the regressions were big red flags. And I, I know being in the field of education, how important the early intervention was. And so at that moment, I just hopped on it. But when I went in to the doctor to talk to the doctor about Lexi, I had every single thing. It was like three pages front and back. I'm like, these are the language delays I'm seeing. These are the physical delays that I'm seeing. These are the sensory delays I'm seeing. Like I had it all mapped out and I was just like reading them down. She was like, go for it. You're clearly ready. And I just started reading all the different categories. And she's like, so what are you thinking? I was like, well, I think that she has autism. And she's like, all right, let's move forward. So she did not fight me on it. And I was very thankful. And I think that she knew since I was an intervention specialist, I don't think that she was going to tell me no. Yeah. Cause you know better than her probably really, you know? Yeah. I, and I, I mean, at that point I just needed someone to confirm it. And did you have to wait a long time for like her like evaluation or? So we live in a very, very small community. Rachel's laughing. <laughs> We live in a very small community. So there were two cities. We could have either gone to Columbus, which is a bigger city, very populated. Morgantown's the other one. Big. It was a little bit further away. It's still a big city. But I was just like, get me into whatever's going to get me there first. And so Morgantown had a three-month wait list. 
So I was like, all right, boom, done. Like, let's, let's get moving. And then in the meantime, my doctor didn't deny me services for OT and speech and PT. So I got her into all of those right away and helped me grow right away. That's great. That's awesome yeah, that's that you great. were like that. And the doctor was receptive to that. Yeah. Because I think like, uh, is yeah, you go wrong somewhere for, I mean, for me, it was like me being in denial. And also the doctor wasn't like, helping but yes. for a lot of people they'll go in and like I think my kids are and they're like well, let's wait and see and so that's yeah, really that's great. exactly happened with us too and that's it's true. so not fair because the parents need the guidance especially at that early age yeah well, well it's so hard because it's like if someone's like talking you out of what you're thinking and you don't want it to be true it's so easy to be like no. oh okay <laughs> yeah like you know that's what, what I mean? was like, with me <laughs> they're right like there are kids that talk later and you know whatever whatever it is so it's so easy to like fall into that like reassurance even though like even if in like your gut you kind of you're telling yourself something different I think that you know I think that's a really hard part of it because it's like who doesn't want that reassurance because you don't want it to be true you know what I mean so like yes yeah three months three months is fast three months two-year wait list to get evaluated yeah that's what I was thinking too super fast three months yeah I was honestly shocked that it was only three months because at that point I was already like I had dived in deep already and I was hearing about wait lists and I was freaking out well and another thing that I had done because to me even at the time three months seemed like so far away when we hit, we're in the middle of all of this regression that I actually ended up doing Mary Barbera's courses. And that was very, very helpful as well in getting Lexi speaking again. So, and you're probably a good person to like do those. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was a background. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. Lexi enjoyed it. So yeah, it's just been a compilation of so much that we've done within the past couple of years. Going back to what you're saying before about like wanting uh, with your job and wanting to like follow kids. Um, I really think that should be a next step in education period. We're very fortunate at my son's school. He's in an autism program. So his autism teacher, unless she moves, you know, there's always staffing changes and stuff that's going to happen. But for now, like she's like his go-to autism teacher. So he's going to change teachers every grade level, but he can fall back with her. And my son, I don't know about all autistic people, but my son really needs that because it takes him like the first year to warm up to someone. And so- And for her to just know like, okay, this is where he was at. He's regressed. He's come back. He's in, because you can try to tell like the next teacher that or the next intervention specialist that, and they're like, okay, okay. But they're going off of their data and their charts. So I love that you want to do that because it's really cool. I agree with you. I mean, I, I really do think, and different teachers have different styles and programs. Well, usually within the school, they're similar programs, but if you're making such growth with a group of students, it's so hard to pass them on. And I'm very, very lucky because the third grade intervention specialist is phenomenal. So I feel like they're in such good hands with her, but at the same time, it's like, well, I don't care. I want, I want you like I, and, and you get to know the families and it's just, it's hard to, move on after one year and the families probably trust you which is nice too for the families yes yeah and now you like have more of an understanding because of you know Lexi so like now it's like you're probably even more understanding because of her you know yes and man it does make a big difference having a child who's going to be following the path in which you teach like it's just like you do get a different kind of a compassion and an understanding for it. I wanted to ask about that. Did it 
kind of, we just interviewed another special education teacher and she didn't have her daughter's typical, but she said even having a child completely changed her perspective on like how she saw parents and that it just made her more kind of forgiving in those ways. Did that happen with you and Lexi or just in general it, having children? So yes. And that's a funny that you say that because I can remember it, it was my first or second year teaching and there was a teacher who was there her i mean i got along great with her but she had said you don't truly become a great teacher until you're a mom and i was so ticked at her for saying that i was like how dare you and at this point i'm like young out of college and i was just like that's so insulting and then years later having kids i'm like hmm I guess I kind of see what she means. <laughs> like you just have the different, <laughs> yes, you just have a different perspective. You have a different understanding of what it's like to do homework at night and trying to get your kids to co cooperate with mom versus cooperate with teacher. And it's, there's just a different dynamic. Although before yeah. you're probably better rested. So there's that. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I think you probably give more grace knowing what it's like just to be a mom in general. Like, you know, you have a more understanding of how like, I see, I run a daycare and I see it all the time, you know, and then we have some teachers that are young and they're like, oh, they couldn't, another lunchable or, or like whatever it is, you know what I mean? But it's like, they're not parents. So they don't fully, you know, I'm like, well, don't ask me what I sent. I sent my kids lunchables. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> really Lexi younger. tonight. I, that actually fell out of their bag. Now give it back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, for dinner tonight, Lexi had a yogurt and a sleeve of Ritz crackers. And Same. she said, mm, yummy. You do what I'm going to bed hungry. Yeah, <laughs> you do she what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very jealous of her sleeve of Ritz crackers. <laughs> <laughs> She'll yeah. even say whole sleeve of Ritz. Whole sleeve of Ritz crackers. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Oh, She's so the funny. stuff of heroes. <laughs> I have to tell you, I one of the, or I'll tell our listeners, because you know this full well. Alyssa and I have a special thing because we did a retreat in Wisconsin together and it was fantastic. Uh, we share a t-shirt from her little tiny small town because it's so small in fact that the butcher is part of the market. Is this, and the butcher isn't just a butcher, but it's like a taxidermy style butcher. What's that thing called in the hunting? Area? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's all, it's called custom killing. So, and then, so my shirt says, custom killing family market. And when I saw her in it, I was like, I need that shirt. And also let's hug. Yeah. I wish our viewers could see Tavis's face right now. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole thing. Sounds like right out of a store in Montana. I feel right. like. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so, so here's like the topper of it too, is out front of the family market custom killing. They have a hearse. What the I need that shirt. I, mean, I need that shirt too, Alyssa. <laughs> I, I told Adrian I'd send her one too. I just need to start sending everyone some family market custom killing shirts. Well, so the second part of what Alyssa and I talk about the most is that she once heard, I believe on the podcast. It was. That I used to 360, but really 375, because if you only bought the duct tape up to a certain, to each other. The kid can peel off the duct tape, which is holding the diaper on, which is holding the poops in, which is a certain level of parenting, as we all know, this extreme parenting that we live. Well, so I had made the comment, you know, like overlap and Celia always had the most darling duct tape and all of this stuff was in the, in the episode. Well, like at 1030 at night, <laughs> one night, I get this message that's like, thank you. You're my hero. We are duct taping diapers at 375. <laughs> 
And now I get pictures of all the darling duct tapes. It's just, you know, I'm sure that you were a very capable teacher prior to that moment. But there, (laughs) There is this humbling that happens that helps you to understand all of the universe better when you're trying to keep the poops in the diapes and the kids in the clothes and the, you know, Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness gracious. Until that works until she's potty trained and then I'm screwed. Yeah. Don't do a potty chair in the closet. That was her dance <laughs> no. idea. So. I found her diaper in the closet the other day. It had the duct tape on it. I don't know how she got it off. Parenting. Yep. What type of program is Lexi in now? So right now, Lexi is just in daycare and I say just in daycare. Her teachers are amazing. They're super patient with her. And then she's still getting PT and OT at the facility. And then when she starts back in the spring, she's going to be in a preschool class. And Kim, I'm not sure if your preschool does this or not, but it's, and it might not if it's a private, but it's a 50% gen ed and then 50% students on IEPs. We do have that in the town, like not my daycare, but the public school does that. Yeah. And this will be through the public school. So I'm really excited for her to get that experience because in addition to her OT and speech each week, the speech pathologist goes into the classroom and does a center each day with the students. So that'll be like a little bit of extra speech. And I just, I'm really excited for her to kind of, I feel like she's at this point where she's like ready to go and learn and I'm nervous as I'll get out about it, but I'm also really excited for her. Why does she have to wait till the spring? Or I I said, I met fall. I don't know oh, why. I okay. Yeah, that makes I'm sense. <laughs> so will sorry. she be in the same? It's late. <laughs> That's fine. Will she be in the same school as you? Or she will be. She will be. She's going to be across the hall from Alina. Ooh, oh, so I know they're going to be in the same hallway together. Alina's stoked about it, though. Like she is, like I'll see Lexi. I can give her a high five. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and she's going into first grade. Is that what you said? Alina oh. is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'll be a lot of boundary testing for you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it really will be. It really will be. They'll be like, oh no, here she comes again. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that or she's like not going to notice that I'm there. Who knows? It's going to be one of the two. That's good though, because I feel like that'll make you feel a lot better having yes. her like where you are. That's, that's yeah. A, yeah. So you did mention in our notes that you want to talk about inclusion. So, yeah. So, one of the things with inclusion, the students that I have, I don't have the high educational needs students. So they're not in a self-contained classroom. It's more mainstreamed and it is more pull out or hopefully someday I'll be able to do some more co-teaching and be in the classroom more. But something that I feel gen ed teachers really need to be aware of is making sure that the students who are on a roster for both gen ed and the special ed teacher, it's a joint effort. And both teachers need to be giving that same effort to the students. And that when someone else who doesn't know the class walks in, they see the kids doing all the same things that the other kids are doing. Because I've gone into classrooms with my students before and like they're either playing with Barbies or they're on the Chromebook or just a different, they aren't involved as much. And so I really feel like that getting that inclusion piece where they're participating, even if they aren't gathering at all, because their grades a lot of times are coming from the intervention specialist, but it doesn't mean that they can't be learning the skills 
in participating the best that they can in the classroom. And that's something that I has just been like heavy on my heart for the last couple of years that I feel gen ed teachers need to be aware of and talk to the intervention specialist on how to make it work because we want to help and we want to be involved. Like we, we're teachers too. Like we, we can help you. So that's, I was going to ask, do you think it's like a staffing issue sometimes, or it's just like, I think a lot of times, and it's not necessarily this at my school, but I think that a lot of times, like teachers have the mindset of, well, this is how I've always done it. Mm -hmm. Where in it, having that mindset just doesn't allow for the growth or the change. Cause there is a changing dynamic to students these days. It's not, it's not what it used to be. No. And it's like, we've been doing the same thing for the last 50 years. Like it's probably time to like change it up a little bit. Yes. I'm Honestly. all about trying something new and changing it up. And it's like, oh, there's this, like, let's try that out. Or, oh, we can do this. Let's try it. Like I love, because otherwise it just gets stagnant. I was just going to say, I feel like, I know you mentioned like more kids with autism, but I feel like it's even broader than that. I feel like there's more kids with ADHD. There's yes. more kids with just like learning issues in general, attention issues in general. So it's like, I feel like the typical model that has always been used I mean, I know it's changing a little bit over the past few years, but like, you know, just to sit in your seat and, you know, kind of pay attention and, you know, follow along. It, I don't think it works probably for like 50% of the kids. So I feel like, you know, it might be time to like readjust what the expectations are of yes. educators to children, especially younger children, you know? I was Absolutely. Because like with the autism, even just autism rates going up and the ADHD rates going up, it's very likely you're going to have an autistic child in your classroom and you're going to have a couple kids with ADHD or neurodiversity in your classroom. So it really is time to change. And I know some people are fighting that all teachers get some sort of autism training because those rates are going up. But I was going to say too, we come across that a lot with Jesse his teacher his gen ed teacher last year he went in for math and literacy and she was pretty good about trying to include him and she was great but we've come across a lot where it's like the teachers have on their mind they're like okay Billy and Jessica I need to get their grades in for so I need to make sure I do the testing with them and blah blah and our kids don't need that from the gen ed teacher because like you said they're getting it from you or they're getting from the special education teacher. And so because they're not that concerned, they kind of just get pushed off to the side. And I don't think it's always even a conscious thing, but it's like, again, that's what inclusion is. It's like thinking yes. outside of yourself and what's going on. Yeah. And what I like what Jesse's teacher this year, like she included other kids and like helping him and assisting him. And those, that's not only building Jesse up and helping him have skills, it's helping those kids learn things too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with everything that you just said. That's a, I, spot on that is what happens I think that's not really the rates I mean more kids are getting formally diagnosed but I think in the past this what system wasn't working either because kids were just not graduating they were getting lost in a system they weren't getting supports that they needed well yeah because we've been doing this since like the 50s yeah (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) oh whatever I don't really know but um yeah you know since we've been kids and it's it's simple things too it's like like with Nixon's uh and I don't have this at any fault to his teachers or anything but they changed his supports and then they were seeing increased um issues in the classroom because of that and I was like well did you talk to him about the change in support and they said no and I was like okay well that's like you going to work and having different coworkers and not knowing your schedule or where you're supposed to be and then expecting that it's going to go smoothly it's like he knows his day he knows his routine he knows where he's supposed to be 
he follows the program. You, you, even simple things like talking to our kids as if you would another student, you know, if they're not going to gym, you would tell a neurotypical kid what's happening in their day. You know what I mean? Why wouldn't you do that in for my kid as well? It's very simple things that can be implemented, I think, pretty easily most of the time to be more inclusive and not as an outside thought, you know? Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. And yeah, to rock a kid's schedule like that, that's, that's huge. And I, they didn't tell us about it either. And I was like, well, you know, I could have talked to him about the changes that were happening before they happened so we can prepare him for what's coming. If you're going to change his supports, like give us a heads up. We're here to help you out as well in the classroom. Like, I don't know what's happening over there most of the time unless someone gives me a heads up about it. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like the communication definitely needs to be a big piece of it. And that's like one of the best ways that you can help your child at home too. I feel like if they have that relationship, if you, if the parent has the relationship with the teacher, the child sees that relationship and then they all, they work together. They trust one another and it's just so much better. It kind of builds a community vibe versus a us, them homework and contentious. Yeah. Contentious environment. Yeah. I feel like since the pandemic, it's a little trickier because there's like a lot more separation between parents and teachers, you know, with like, you know, some, some schools don't even let parents inside again, or it's like very, you know, very little of it. So I feel like that's definitely like, and I feel like the schools kind of like that because it's just, it's probably easier for them, honestly, just to not have to like have that layer of stuff to um, contend with. But, you know, it does, I feel like, make everything miscommunications and stuff like that a lot heightened. Yeah. And I'm one of the crazy teachers and I know so many teachers will not do this, but I give my phone number to the parents that I work with because I feel like one, it's easy. Parents like to text. Parents would rather text than send an email or make a phone call. It's like, Hey, my child didn't sleep well last night or Hey, my child isn't feeling well today. Or they woke up grumpy or they didn't eat their breakfast or any number of things. It's just easier to send a quick text. And then I'll text them too of like, Oh, don't forget we're doing this tomorrow or, Oh, look at this fun activity we did and send pictures. And then when I get pictures back from parents, I'm like, yes. I know I've hit home then. I'm like, they're sharing their world with me. And then it really feels good. Well, it's too like, a, I mean, I don't know if this is a millennial in me, but like a, an email just seems so like, for one, I don't want to add to someone's inbox. I don't want to like, it just seems like, okay, I'm not going to email you. Like, hey, my kid didn't sleep like one sentence. I feel like an email needs to be more. So we have, yeah. um, actually Jesse's teacher doesn't use this, but my other kids' teachers, uh, my other's my daughter and my nephews, their teachers use uh, talk to text or whatever. It's like an app. And so you can, and I love that so much because it's just like simple. Here's a reminder or this happened instead of like, okay, I'm going to add a 50th email to your inbox. Like, I think that's awesome. That we had like a portal or something for uh, Nixon. It was awesome. And his, it, it's, it pretty much is like texting. Like you can just send a message. It yep. goes in there immediately if something happened in the classroom and Nixon's teacher is fantastic with that. She'd be like, Hey, this happened today in the classroom. Just wanted to give you a heads up what's happening or whatever. Then we could, I mean, I loved it. It's yeah. why wouldn't you have that? We're well, in the age of technology say, people. Also <laughs> for the teacher and let's say Nixon didn't sleep all night and 
he was having a hard morning, you know, your teacher needs to know that. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. so that, that communication level. So if his behaviors are off or he's tired or whatever it might be, at least they know kind of what's up. Yes. So. Or the out of meds. That's a good one to know too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I, uh, I mean, the person who's <laughs> the most about my son and our new med that we're trying and all this stuff is his teacher because like she sees him every like I need the information mm-hmm. from her and mm-hmm. she needs it from me as well because I need to know how it's affecting him at school it might be different like it, I don't know I just love having that open communication but what advice can you give parents who don't have teachers that are as open and as communicative as you like if or kids who can't receive services when their parents think they need those interventions what can they do at home so some of the things that you can do is one talk to the gen ed teacher because most things that go home are going to be on grade level so if you see that your child is struggling with those things start with the gen ed teacher and i don't know how it is in everyone's state or providence (laughs) um um, we have what what is it province 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 okay yeah (laughs) close providence is in rhode island (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah clearly I'm not from Canada so anyways uh in Ohio I know at least we have something called title one funding and with that funding there's extra supports in reading and a lot of times you can't they can support math but usually it focuses on reading and requesting an IAT meeting which is an intervention assistant team Sometimes it's called an RTI team, which is a response to intervention. And it's usually like the principal, the guidance counselor, the gen ed teacher, maybe a title teacher, an intervention specialist. Sometimes the parent is there and sometimes they have them without the parent. And then at the second one, they'll have the parent join as well. And they just really gather data for a period of weeks and they see if they're making any gains or not. And then if they aren't making gains, and they aren't closing that gap, then they can do a formal request for an evaluation. So I feel like it's just important to like, just be aware of what is coming home. Is your child able to do it? Are they doing well? Do they have anxiety about school? And that's another one. I feel like kids have so much anxiety revolving around school as well. And I think it's important for the parents to say something because there's so many kids in classrooms now and not enough teachers and they don't always catch that. And sometimes our kids are acting out because they don't know what's going on. And so they're just the teachers. It's easier for them to be like, oh, they're just not paying attention when it's something. Yes. Yes. And it usually is a lot of times it is something more. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times I was going to say this earlier where there's like also these groupings of children who like, you know, maybe you have ADHD, but you don't necessarily score low enough on the testing. So you don't qualify for an IEP, but like that doesn't mean that that child doesn't need supports in the classroom, yes. you know, or, you know, maybe somebody who doesn't have a diagnosis or, or like whatever it may be. I feel like there's always these kids that kind of like skirt that line. Um, and those kids just get, you know, they fall through the cracks. They do. And it's a shame. I know that Ohio is getting ready to pass a uh, dyslexia bill. And so they're going to be screening all students for dyslexia. And if they're flagged, then they're going to have to receive interventions, which I'm excited about because I did the training for it. So I'm like so ready to go tackle some dyslexia this year. I love that. We just had a bunch of uh, parents go to the the school board here because um, the school wouldn't even include dyslexia in IEPs. Like they wouldn't include the language. They wouldn't include any supports. 
for dyslexia. I wasn't ever diagnosed like educationally because they couldn't really say like, you just have a reading disability. I was just told that over until like middle school teacher said that. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. It's just surprising to me that we're still there. We're like, um, we're still there that that's like a fight to get like, that's a foundation of learning. Yeah. And dyslexia really is a very, like, there's a specific need to treat dyslexia. It's it's separate. I mean, same as there is for autism with, I don't know, if you go the ABA route, fine. If you go other routes, fine. I mean, there's, there are specific treatments for different things and it needs to be addressed. Well, my daughter was actually diagnosed with dyslexia when she was diagnosed with ADHD. And the school like denied it. They're like, no, she doesn't have that. And I'm like, well, like the psychologist said that she did. And they're like, well, we're going to have our reading specialist work with her. And they're like, no, she doesn't. And I didn't know at that time that I could like fight it. Do you know what I mean? I just kind of was like, well, uh, okay, I guess she doesn't have it. Like, I don't, like, I don't. Yeah, that's so frustrating. And I feel like that happens so much. So I'm really excited about the bill that's being passed here that will hopefully get students the help that they need well and Alyssa can you talk about that too because I mean I don't know how if you're like an expert on dyslexia but there's different types of dyslexia and so I mean and a lot of people on the spectrum have it and sometimes that gets pushed to the side because they're treating the autism first or whatnot but can you talk about like different types because what Kim was just talking about I think some people think dyslexia is one certain thing and it's not just that it's several things It is. And a big piece of it is comprehension. A lot of people are like, oh, well, they don't reverse their letters. They aren't dyslexic. And it's like, well, that really isn't what dyslexia is. Yeah, there may be letter reversals, but that's not all that it is. Super complex in that it's pulling all of those different pieces of the reading process, like understanding. A lot of it is comprehension, honestly. I'm losing my train of thought here, but (laughs) yes, it's a lot of it is like the comprehension piece and understanding what you're reading and the fluency piece to it and being able to fluently read, because if you don't have the fluency, then you're focusing on the decoding. And if you're decoding, then you're clearly not going to have the fluency and then you're not going to have the comprehension and it just all builds on each other. And I think that was like my daughter's issue because I was like, well, she doesn't like write her name backwards or anything like that's. And obviously, like you said, a lot of people don't know that, like the regular persons, you know, that's what everyone thinks of of dyslexia, of like writing everything backwards. And so like we, she was in third grade. So like we had never seen that. So like when the school was like, no, she doesn't. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't really, I I don't know. Like, this is just what the psychologist said, but her decoding skills and all those scores are are low for her. So it's like it. Yeah. The decoding and encoding writing was honestly even harder for me than reading. And I would always shortchange myself. Like when I was younger and I would want to write something, I'd have these great ideas on how I wanted to write it, but then I couldn't figure out how to spell it. So then I would just change it to something like more simplistic versus having it be elaborate and giving detail, I would just dumb it down just so I could spell it with words that I already knew. Well, the teachers would be like, well, her reading is on grade level. And I'm like, okay, but like how, but like her, the time between one thing to the next was so long, but like her reading wasn't necessarily like, they're like, oh, she's not the lowest in the class. It's like, okay, but how long has she been at the reading level she's at now? A year. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's just, it's so hard when you don't have, um, you know, 
and then it's not the teachers like the teachers are like we're acting like she's on an IEP but it's like but it's, it's like you know, even then at that point they should know that something's up like if those well yeah well the teachers I feel like the teachers do know but sometimes it's like they won't go against you get them in the meeting in front of the administration and they're not saying the things that like they were saying to you like in the classroom privately you know they're kind of like yeah I feel like sometimes their hands are tied to like yeah and the best thing for addressing dyslexia is just like small group direct instruction and just explicitly teaching each skill one by one mm-hmm. and building mm-hmm. them and allowing them to practice with those skills and and it's hard like what's the what's the dyslexia yeah. what's the ADHD do you know what I mean like it's hard to oh, figure out like, I swear dyslexia and ADHD is like autism and anxiety like they're yeah. just they they go together yeah. well it's yeah to like and like you're talking about like I had a lot of trouble with like phonics and stuff like that so I learned by memorizing a lot which is now like a strategy. That's how they, a strategy they tried on Jesse. But I was like told not to do that. Basically, they're like, no, you need to sound out the words. You need to sound out the words. And still to this day, I like look back on a lot of words and I just know it because I memorized the words or, you know, and then the comprehension piece. But for some people, there's a type of dyslexia that's mainly just around numbers. It's not even around reading and writing. I'm so not as knowledgeable on that, but yes. And I used to memorize too, um, or I would come up with like funky mnemonic devices to remember things. <laughs> and it's really not how you should do it you should learn the phonics skills, but I, I don't know what happened to phonics. Like it just like disappeared for a long time, no. but they're, they're really bringing did. it back. They took it out. Yeah. But it's hard they because did. Everyone... Our, our generation, me and they went out with the, it went out with the bell bottoms. It really yeah, did. It, 80s. Did. it was the eighties. It came out. I was just going to say like figuring out how your kid learns first yes. and then building up. Cause that's, I learned memorizing and then I was able to go to phonics that way from that and that's what they do at Jesse's school they try to figure out okay how do they learn and I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing because they just want to teach the mass and it's yeah well and that's what I was going to say is like you know what you were saying Alyssa is that you probably should learn phonics but who cares if you make it to the end in the right way you know what I mean like if you learn Mm -hmm. by memorizing or by like these mnemonic devices or by writing things out or pictures what who cares how you get to the end if you're all in the same spot at the end doing the same thing you know what I mean it it shouldn't be like you have to be in this bracket learning this exact way as this person next to you because our brains don't function that way there's people who are hands-on there's people who's auditory there's people who are visual you know like all different kinds of ways that brains work and we shouldn't try and cram everybody into one set of tracks well it's it's always changing like you know before before they thought you would hit a wall if you did that and then you would be able to like learn more complicated and in you know advanced things um like I remember when my son was younger they'd be like you got to learn your times table he never learned his time he is 30 years old he's never learned his timetables he adds the math in his head he always has done it but he could do eight plus eight is 16 time you know 16 plus 16 is 32 faster than you could do eight times four is 32 now they're like oh no we're not going to just memorize timetables now we really want you to understand that like what eight times four means so now they have to do all this like well, we can't, they changed like, math we can't even like, teach our this kids is math like, it's not, math. no I can't do that thank, thank god I have my son thank god I had a good a son who's good at math and he was born first so he's been able to help the younger <laughs> kids as I'm like don't come at me with that stuff unless it's like you want me to figure out how much money you're gonna save on something that's about the only math I can do <laughs> 
But that's why I think like, Alyssa, you're so important in intervention specialists because when it comes down to it, it's that kids need smaller group sizes. They needed that. They need that attention from people that can really recognize what they need. And that's just something like in this country that we don't take priority in. It's like, you can't get with it, then you're out. And so that's why I think it's really cool. You do what you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And then like another thing that I feel like parents can do at home with kids is to just give them a break. I feel like it's, and I've, I've fallen into the category. I won't say I haven't. It's like read 20 minutes a night, practice your spelling words, do your math page and all the things. It's like, holy cow. When you really start thinking about everything that our kids do, OT, speech, PT, adaptive ed, if they do that, ABA, they're with the gen ed teacher, they're with the intervention specialist, not to mention all of like the overwhelming stimulants throughout the day, the peer interactions and the bathrooms. Like when you put it all together, (laughs) it is just a lot. And so I feel like a lot of times kids who have IEPs, like by the time they need, they get home, they need to take a break. Yeah. It's hard. Like homework was such a battle with my daughter because she just would she'd cry and cry and then but and she takes so long to do stuff so it's like well she's up to midnight now because she you know she's got to read her stuff four times because she doesn't retain the information so now she's got to go back and read it again and go back and find the answer to the question because she is not retaining the information and she's sobbing and she's so stressed and you can't compute and you can't like it all just perpetuates itself snowball I feel cool. like that from what I've seen it seems like they're scaling back a little on homework now which I think is Remote. needed yes so they just I, took away here grades I don't know if if you do that there there's no more grades here except when you get your grade in 12. your whole providence no no sorry grades they don't mark you mark mark <laughs> we call it like grades like oh I got a great uh like a report card they don't no grades. Yeah, we call that grades, grades. Too. yeah okay so until you get into grade 12 and then they go back to grading you again which is so weird to me they that's just changed it last year that's why last year yeah Man, so I how do they measure by testing i don't know rain clouds and two sunny smiley faces gold star for seventh grade gold star thumbs up yeah you made it coming that's an awesome grading system thumbs up thumbs up exactly Alyssa do you want to tell people where they can find you yes well I'm really only in one place in a small town in Ohio (laughs) (laughs) give give everyone your address (laughs) (laughs) what's your phone so we can text you photos of your success No, my husband was there the other day and no joke, he he was so bummed he didn't have his phone because he saw the head of a buck and just like hooves, like hanging out of the dumpster. I was just like, oh my gosh, I, how did you not have a camera for that? I'm such an office nerd. All I can think of is an episode where Dwight talks about he's going to start selling cows, but keeping them alive and just slicing pieces. Of the <laughs> I don't know why it's coming to my mind. Anyway. I watch too much office. Sorry, I digress. No, I am on Facebook at Life with Lexi. And that's where I have my little platform. I, I'm really not, I've posted a couple of things on Instagram, but to be honest, I don't really get on it. I'm just not. 
I guess. Same. I do have to say same that you ladies same. were some the my favorite group of ladies that I met in Minnesota, yeah. hands down. No one can cut a rug like uh, I, like I, Alyssa. I, yeah, Ohio friends. I mean, I loved meeting everybody, but the group of you together, that energy was fierce. Oh, was I, love, yeah. I love my friends. I am <laughs> so, so I'm excited. Molly's actually coming to Ohio Yay! next week from a winter story. And so we'll get to Nikki and I are going to go see her, but Sarah's vacating. Well, that's really a shame because I just can't imagine you and Molly having any fun at all. So that's really going to be. <laughs> I'll just keep my ringer on. Trying to get Amanda to join us, but she's busy. She's She said that she's teaching Monday through Wednesday, so she can't come. She's the busiest person in the world. Oh yeah. my gosh, isn't she though? Yeah. So yes, yeah. but I'm excited. I We had so much fun with you. I was actually messaging them today because I was like, oh, I want to post a picture of us in put something on Facebook about getting to talk with you guys. And I was like, we didn't get a single picture with all of you at the same time. How did oh, that... yes, we did. Didn't we? We might have not one. on our phones. I made them check their phones. I think oh. I have one. I think I have one. I'll send it to you. I, have... I do, I do it... have an amazing video of you guys dancing in the glow <laughs> of our gear as the oh. sun was shining through the window. <laughs> All of oh, our yeah. glitter outfits. <laughs> oh, I loved ball. the glitter outfits. <laughs> yeah. There needed to be a little bit more outfit to my outfit <laughs> yeah. after I've seen those dancing videos. Sweet baby Jesus. Oh, you were um, rocking it. Oh, I, there was a lot moving. Thank you oh, for all that you do for our kids. Yes. But yes, also, just of your amazing spirit. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that I got to come on. Thank you for inviting me on. I really, yes, we're so happy it. to have you. It was so fun. It was fun. And I will hopefully get to see all of you again sometime yes. within the near yeah. future. Yeah. So oh, thank you. I don't know if I see you soon. Yes, see you guys later. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Big thank you to all of our supporters. If you would like to become a supporter, please check out the description of this episode where you will also find episode information, how to sign up for our newsletter, and find links to us individually. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at table for five podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Can't wait to sit with you again.